0: This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. The show, 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 show. It is Danny and Gallant. We just talked to Nick Belor. Two people have checked in and said he is Putty from Seinfeld. Patrick Warburton. Is that correct, Paul?
1: That is true. Two people have texted that in. For those who don't know, Patrick Warburton has a very deep voice. I don't know if Belore's voice went quite that deep. But I would say that his mannerisms are similar to that of Patrick Warburton.
0: Very dry. Yeah, that's right. Time to bring in Bump here. Michael Bumpus for Bump Day on Blue 42.
2: Here we go, this is Blue 42 We're gonna go red, right, tight, close, sprint, left, GU corner, halfback, flat, on to, ready,
0: right
1: Now here's your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant Blue
0: 42, Blue 42,
1: Michael Bumpus, our long national nightmare is over Jamal Adams has signed an extension with the Seattle Seahawks What was your first reaction to seeing the news?
2: My first reaction was, all right, cool. It's about time. It was going to happen. There was no doubt in my mind this was going to get done. If they did not sign Jamal Adams, it would have gone down as history as one of the worst things that's happened to this organization. You give up two first-round picks. um, You give up a third-round safety and another pick. And this guy's only here for a year. And you've seen what he's done to this defense, how he's helped out with emotion and intensity and just the whole vibe has changed since he's gotten here. So I knew it was going to happen. I didn't. I felt like there was no way this wasn't going to get done. Now it's back to business. Now you have to ease him in slowly. Pete Carroll said he did even more than they wanted him to do yesterday out in practice. What do you expect? Um, he's been he's been chomping out the bit to get out there. So I'm glad it got done. That's one thing you can check off the to do list, the honey do list. The Hawks got a couple things they have to do. That's one one thing down. Now you got to get Dwayne done.
0: What if they decide they're not going to get Dwayne done? What if they decide like, "Hey, we love you Dwayne, we want you to play this year, but we're not we're, we'll talk we'll talk after the season about about redoing the contract or or your next deal." W-
2: what if that happens? It would make sense because he's older, and he's going to ask for a bunch of money, and he probably deserves a bunch of money because of the way that he's been playing. But you're going to have some unhappy campers. You're going to yeah. have Uh, A guy who's later in his career Who's looking for a job security You're going to have a quarterback who loves this dude Who trusts this dude on that blind side I can understand it But if it doesn't get done man You're just going to be a a bit more drama And right now I'm just like man kill the noise Kill the drama It's almost time to go Try to make everybody happy Hold it together for a season Just get through this season And then we can figure out what's going to happen next season Uh, It needs to get done If it doesn't I understand But if it doesn't Number three watch out
1: Yeah and Look, maybe it's unfair to blame Stone Forsythe for the corner blitz that hit Geno Smith. But there were other moments in that game on Saturday night where Stone Forsythe did not look like he's had a lot of experience in the NFL. And by the way, that was his first actual ever game.
2: Yeah, he's just yeah. not ready yet. He's young. What do you expect? His very right. first game. He's going to be better this week, but he, he just ain't ready yet. And if that doesn't make you value Dwayne a bit more, then I don't know what is.
0: What was your reaction to that, Because Geno Smith got clobbered from the blind side and every okay, something
2: clearly went wrong. What was your reaction to that? All right, here's the thing. NFL Game Pass has gotten rid of the All-22, which yeah. I hate right now because I can't really dissect what's going on. But here are things that could have happened. All right, If there's a, a QB, or excuse me, a slot receiver, he could have looked hot. Maybe they missed it. Maybe Gino just didn't see it. You could have slid the protection, could have put a running back there. So there are some things that could have happened to help Forsyth. But I also know that at that tackle spot, you can peel off and forget your assignment and say, look, this guy's most dangerous right now. Let me hit him, and hopefully the quarterback gets the ball off. Gino didn't see it either. So there are a bunch of things that happen. That allowed this to go down But it doesn't look good when you have the guy Who was supposedly supposed to replace Dwayne Brown And he doesn't see that I feel like Dwayne Brown would have said I right, forget my assignment This guy's hot right now Let me pick him up
1: You haven't touched on Saturday night's game with us yet And the Seahawks only had the ball for 19 minutes on offense So it's really hard to come away with Any I think strong takeaways about what you saw But was there anything good Because for the most part it was a struggle Outside of the DJ Dallas catch and tiptoe down the right sideline for a touchdown
2: yeah, it was a struggle, and uh, that should let you know how valuable an O-line is and Russell Wilson is, just that first half alone. But what I did see, I saw them trying to get the football out the quarterback's hands quickly. I saw Magoo missed a couple guys. Uh, Magoo's looking for the home run play. He's used to that, that Schottenheimer offense to where he's trying to go deep. So it's hard to really tell what this offense is going to look like, but I did see quick game, saw the concepts. QB doesn't get the ball out of his hands. Question two. All right bump. We've seen the
0: enforcement of the anti-taunting rule. I think everybody is, who was the Colts running back? Was it Lemay? Yeah. Who ended up kind of flexing after Dragon guys for 10 yards? Like flexed on him a little bit, said like let's go. Got flagged for it. Everybody's like, why nobody nobody wants to see that penalized. John Morrow, who's the Giants owner and kind of the, the blue b- blood embodiment of old school NFL owners, somebody who's on the competition committee. Here's his explanation for why the league is is upping enforcement of taunting rules.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's something we discuss every year in the competition committee. We, we get kind of sick and tired of the, of the taunting that does go on from time to time on the field. We've tried to balance... Um, the sportsmanship with allowing the players to have fun. And there's always a fine line there, but none of us like to see that. And uh, it's just a question of whether you can have rules that can be enforced without taking the fun out of the game too. But nobody wants to see a a player taunting another player. I know I certainly don't. And I think the rest of the members of the competition committee feel the same way too. Your reaction, Bo. Who's tired of seeing it? Who? The guys upstairs sitting in the suite, nice and cuffy, drinking during the game and shaking hands and wearing ties and telling corny jokes. Like, who's tired of seeing this? Well, ask the coaches and the players. Like, he has no context. This dude has never played a sport. I looked him up. I'm like, he has to have played some type of sport somewhere. He's never played. He's you know just been— cross?
0: I, he, maybe seem like he might have played lacrosse perhaps polo maybe perhaps
2: polo, polo. And maybe a, gen, a gentleman sport no, you know? Maybe, golfer. maybe a <laughs> gentleman golfer. sport
0: that's it nothing
1: it's, other than that you
2: have you have no experience on the football field and who's in the who's in the competition committee probably a bunch of old guys like him who are sitting upstairs nice and comfy But like, ask the guys who are on the field talk to referees talk to coaches talk to players emotion is part of this game now Lemay made a play. He got up and flexed a little bit. He might have looked at the defender for a split second, but then he turned away, walked away. There was nothing disrespectful about it. The defender didn't even react to it. That's how you know. He was like, oh, the guy made a play. You're allowed to celebrate. It's ridiculous. They need to get younger guys in this competition committee. I don't know if they do or not, but put a guy who's in his 40s in there, who's, who's more in touch with the game and who these guys are today. Put a guy in their 30s. You have 30-year-old men leading football teams. You have coaches in their 30s leading, leading football teams. You need to get some younger guys in this competition committee because this ain't this ain't the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And they were mean back then. Like, that game was mean. It was it's more mean than it is now. We just talk a little bit. It's part of the game. I didn't even talk trash when I played, but I appreciated it. Like, it's, it's no context, man. Get out of here. Sound old. The
1: customer is always right, and they didn't even consult the customer either. I mean, what does the average fan think about this? And yet here's Country Club, who's busy running the Giants into the ground. He's going to fire Joe Judge and hire some other idiot head coach next. And this guy has the stones to say that, oh, well, we don't like it. It does sound just so crusty and gentlemanly. And it's like, you guys are essentially the purveyors of a sport where dudes are trying to decapitate each other on a (laughs) play-to-play basis. Are you really going to try and act like you're some sort of nobleman This isn't England. You're not a baron. Let's let the guys actually play it in the way that it's supposed to be played, which is fun, because guess what? It's a fun game played for the
0: entertainment of other people. I think the part that is strange to me is I think taunting has largely been taken out of the game. I think it's very rare when it happens. Like I I don't think it happens as much as it did 20 years ago or 25 years ago. So it's strange. It's strange to me that there's this emphasis of, like, people feeling that that has come into the game. And I'm like, yeah. I, if anything, I feel like that's already been purged. And I don't... Somebody texted in here from the 253. I think they don't like taunting because when you watch a kid's flag football game and six-year-olds start taunting, you know where it's coming from. It's about the kids. I, I get that. Kids that are going to be kids. 10, I get that 10%. First of all, there's a ton of things in this world that we say are okay for adults to do and are not okay for kids. Like, there's nothing wrong with saying, "Hey, if you get into the NFL, you can do that." Until then, I, I want you handing the ball to the official. There's nothing to stop you from doing that. The other part is, is that, like, really, we're not talking about flashing middle fingers, or we're not talking about like, de- degeneration X crotch chops that people are <laughs> delivering toward each other. It's it's Antoine Winfield flat chucking the deuces. Right in the eyes of Tyreek Hill after Tyreek Hill did that to him earlier. I, I just, unless the, unless the league's owners thinks that the money doesn't want this, that the advertisers in the league don't want it, and they want it more classy and more dignified. I, just, I, don't, I don't get this.
1: <laughs> but that's what's funny. Like, What are you going to start getting advertisements for? Some sort of fancy perfume? You sell beer. That's what, that's what <laughs> these games sell.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if my son did what LeMay did, I would have no problem with it. Yeah. I'd have no problem with it. I'm like, you made a hell of a play. I might be on the sideline flexing with you. Like, let's go, son. Like, let's get it. Now, if you spend time looking and pointing and doing all this stuff, then that's different. But I would love – I wish people knew the feeling of playing in an NFL game and making a play. It is something special, man. I only made a few plays in the NFL, but doing that is probably one of the best feelings I've ever had in my life. There is no way – that you you can expect ten out of ten players to behave like one of these texts or say like Barry Sanders. That's just Barry's nature. He wasn't like that. Just wasn't what he did. No, everyone's not Barry Sanders. All exactly. right, everyone's and different. That's what makes that what that's what makes the NFL beautiful is that you do have different
0: personalities. Yeah, <laughs> my mom
1: Kitsy had always threatened if I did anything like that in a high school game that she would come onto the field and pull me off by the ear. And sadly, I scored two touchdowns while she was not there, and I did not know that she wasn't there. So I behaved. I was very sad. My,
0: mo- my mom, wanted to pull me off the court during a junior high basketball really? game. when I was playing for Sacred Heart Academy because I was taking charges. I was flopping. She was furious. <laughs> like oh my was, god! She was furious about the flopping. Your mom is honor. Like, you are you are exaggerating. <laughs> <laughs> that is not. What it's, <laughs> I was like, come on, mom! Oh, she was furious. Oh, that's
1: that's that's awesome. All right, question number three. I'm excited about this. Dwayne Eskridge is finally off the PUP list. How do they play him the rest of this preseason, though? Because he's got to be behind the eight ball. I mean, Freddie Swain, we've seen him clearly, I think, grab a firm hold on that third wide receiver spot. How do you manage a wide receiver who's behind the rest of the class but also is a second-round pick?
2: Man, I say you don't play him, honestly. I say you don't play him. It's not like he's fighting to make the football team. He is going to be on this football team. He was their first draft pick. Let him sit. I mean, unless he's 100% and you see him putting his foot in the ground and and looking smooth, is it really worth it? Freddie Swain has shown, like, look, I can be that number three receiver. You can ease the youngster in. Ease him in. Put him on special teams as a returner during the season or do something. But if there is any doubt – Don't put him in. And I know people are going to say, well, he needs the experience. Yes. The game's going to be faster. Yes. But at this point, you've seen so many injuries during this camp. Tyler Lockett is banged up. Everyone on the offensive line has been banged up. Rashad Penny's been banged up. Why risk it? You know you have a team that's ready to compete for the NFC West right now without Eskridge. So, develop him during the season have him get 10 to 12 snaps during the first or second week i don't think there's any rush and now you lost colby now colby's coming back you got some good news there he'll be back in a couple weeks it's just the the more we get into this the more i see there isn't much value in preseason if you know this guy's going to be on the team if these are guys on the bubble go ahead and play them but when you have a team like the hawks that's ready to win right now i don't think it's worth the risk that is blue 42 uh, Michael Bumpus is with us on Wednesdays
0: from eight to nine, so we've got him here for forty five more minutes. Is that Pete's clearly gone in that direction? Seattle played didn't play thirty one players on on Saturday night. It was the fourth most highest. None of their first string offense played. I think Freddie Swain, DJ Dallas, were probably the most prominent guys that that got on the field. Pete's clearly going in that direction, and it's a change for him. Have you always felt that way about preseason? Like, let the guys battle for the roster to play in those preseason games, but save the starters?
2: Yeah, for sure. Especially when I was there. shoot, I want all the reps I can get. You know, I, I knew Bobby was going to be there. You know, I knew Juice was going to be there. Let, let's let these young guys battle it out. Now, I can understand why people want to see rookies play because they're rookies. They haven't been in this situation. But if they're coming into this season with injuries being banged up already and you know they're going to make the team— and don't, don't even risk it, but I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Uh, I would say the last couple of years, I've kind of come around to it because now I understand like these are investments. You're spending millions of dollars on these pieces that you want them just to be available, so I'm good with it.
0: Pete Carroll has always had a close relationship with his players. He was asked yesterday about how that relationship plays in. And specifically, Jamal Adams was asked whether, whether his relationship with Pete Carroll sort of plays a factor in some of the negotiations as you're trying to get something. Is that something that can help get it, get it over the hump? Here was Jamal's answer. Oh, yeah, it was everything. You know, obviously, just from when, when Pete called, um, you know, when, when the trade happened, um, you know, him calling me, reaching out, calling my mother, um, that meant everything to me. It's the little things like that. And um, our relationship has always been strong. Um, and it's just going to continue to get better. It's just... I've always, I've always thought that when when it comes to coaches, those are tiebreakers. Like if all all money being equal, they'll go play for the, they'll appreciate sort of the personal touches of the coach. Like everything being equal, then the the quality of the practice field, then the quality of the headquarters. That money money's the primary decider. Am I am I underselling? Like, does does the idea and the appeal of playing for Pete Carroll and the connection he fosters does that does that help keep guys here, Bob?
2: It does because of what comes with it, because of how the organization is ran because of the culture that's there. I mean, people want, I feel like people want to come play for Pete. It's almost like he's a, he's like an NFL legend. You hear about how it is at in Seattle at practice and how they travel and the food and all this stuff. And then you get here and it seems like it's backed up nine out of 10 times. And then you meet Pete Carroll and you're like, this guy genuinely cares about his players and what's going on. So I think it's a combination of things. Then you meet the players and you meet Bobby, you meet Lockett, Russ, and these all seem like guys that you can hang out with. So it's a, it's an equation that happens out here, and, and some guys really buy in to what's going on. I think that's what happened with Jamal.
1: Was that something you saw when you were getting recruited by USC, too, with, with Pete there? And, and obviously, you know, you see all these different programs, and they're all going to have different perks, but I, I think the one that makes Pete the most unique in the NFL and probably one of the more unique ones in college football is that it's just a totally
2: different vibe that you get with him compared to a lot of other coaches. So Pete is, what, 70 years old now? Could you Is imagine Imagine He's him sixteen 70. years ago. Like he was I mean, he was a he was a salesman. He was everywhere. He was personable. He'd walk around. I went on a trip with like twenty of the top recruits in the country there. Ted Ginn was there. Phillip Rivers was there. I mean Keith Rivers, sorry. And he took his time and made everyone feel like they were already a part of the family, man. And um it was first class, so I could I could see how He's kind of built off of that. Now now he's a legend. Now he's won national championship. He's won a Super Bowl. Like the his resume just grows and grows. It is Danny
0: Galump, Michael Bumpus is here with us. What's next for the Seahawks? The biggest the biggest question of their offseason is now settled. The biggest question, the uncertainty of, of Jamal Adams' contract, is settled. And I think we all we it's not a surprise that it got done. But what's next? You have Dwayne Brown, who's not practicing. You have Quandre Diggs, who's also someone who would Made a Pro Bowl last year. He would like an extension. He's got one year left on his deal. Bump, what's the next thing that this team tackles?
2: Hopefully Dwayne. I mean, it it, it has to be. Even if it's not, even if he doesn't get what he wants, but there's a decision. Like, okay, this is the direction we're going. Either we're going to extend you or we're just going to table it for next year. I think that needs to be done because he needs to, we need to know, is this going to be the guy, uh, what, week one against the Colts? Then after that, I think it's Diggs. And what's, it's a gift and a curse that you have all these important pieces, right? Diggs is a pro bowler. No no, no denying what Dwayne brings to the table, but they all got to get paid. So it, it has to be stressful. But right now, figure out what you're going to do with Dwayne. And then I think you can go to Diggs. I'm curious as to how
1: deep the line is that the Seahawks will draw here. And mm-hmm. there's got to be a point where they look at themselves and say, yeah, this is not – ideal for us considering his age, considering maybe he was thinking about retiring, considering he's had the knee issues, considering he's not practicing as much, but we know what he's at. The level that he plays with, the toughness that he plays with when he's on the field. Do we really want to say nah, we can do better than this because it's going to be hard for them to do better than this. Forget the short term. I, I, I look at 2022 as a year where they're going to need Dwayne Brown, because I don't know how they find somebody
0: other than Brown to play left tackle. For me, the Seahawks had the leverage in Jamal Adams' negotiation. They had the leverage of saying, we're offering you $38 million guaranteed, and you can take that and be the highest paid safety in the league. Or you can play potentially on a series of one-year deals. And you can roll the dice and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay healthy. I'm going to play. But Seattle had the opportunity. Like, in their, hey, you're under contract for next year. If you want to play, you're 25. You're almost certainly not looking to take a year off. We have a huge pile of guaranteed money for you to take. Or you can, you can choose to go this, this different route. I think Dwayne Brown kind of has the leverage. Seattle's the one that's got to make the decision right now of, do we try to stare him down? I, I, I don't feel they're negotiating from a position of strength and that they've got to decide, do we need to give him an extension to get him on the field week one? Like right na- right now, they, they they probably don't know that. If they don't give him the extension, they're not certain. Even if he's told them what he's planning to do, you don't know that for sure until it happens. And there's another factor in this in terms of the, the uncertainty that they may feel that I think worth fleshing out. We'll do that next. Michael Bumpus is here with us. It's Danny and Gallant. Our coverage of training camp brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. The, the one thing about Dwayne Brown's situation that nobody's talking about. That's next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. The Jamal Adams contract is an easy one. Not that it was an easy negotiation, but that's really straightforward for a team, right? You got an all pro safety that you traded two first round picks and a third rounder for. You want to extend him. The only the only thing. You're just hoping it gets done. The situation with Dwayne Brown is harder. And I think it's important to sort of differentiate those, the difficult decisions that a franchise has, and and the, the relatively straightforward. Jamal Adams at 25, extending his contract is relatively straightforward. Dwayne's much harder. He's turning 36. He's been... The single stabilizing force on your offensive line over the past three years. After a couple years where you kind of wandered in the darkness at left tackle, after Russell Okung, you didn't bring back right like Tryon, George Fant, and all Bradley. Bradley Sal. Like they played some, they, they played some rough dudes at left tackle, and, and they landed on their feet, and they got Dwayne Brown, who is really good. He's thirty six now. He wants an extension. His salary is is fair. For this upcoming season, it's not like you would say like, oh man, he's underpaid. He's making $10 million. It's an average salary for a left tackle. and But he wants a little long-term assurance, which you can understand. Like He's 36 and he's given up a lot of his... I think we all are hoping that he's on the field for week one. Does his importance to the team – and we'll start with this question. Michael Bumpus is with us here. Does his importance to the team maybe mean that you err on the side of making some financial concessions you wouldn't for another player just because he plays left tackle and you don't have a clear replacement lined up?
2: Yes. You do what you have to do to keep this man on the team. It He's a leader, and it, it's more than just football, too. He, he's a leader – I see this guy coaching up these young guys on the football field, on the sidelines. He has a great relationship with Russell Wilson. He He's that glue that keeps the offensive linemen together. And and he's still balling. And, again, like I said, he is 36, and you got to kind of be cautious. You don't know if he's going to make it through a season. But everything I hear about Dwayne Brown as well is that he takes care of his body. Like, this guy eats perfectly. He's always working out. He's getting treatment. Like, he's maintaining. He's at an age to where he knows exactly what he needs to do to be ready to go. So I think you, you got you to gotta do what you have to do. You can't lose Dwayne Brown. can't do it.
1: That leadership side of things that you pointed out is something that I've been seeing at training camp, even when he's not been out there in official capacity. There's been a couple of moments, I'd say, with Ashari Crosswell, who made a couple of nice plays. He came over to him, had his arm around his shoulder. These are the kind of things that you see from a, a veteran player, and, and you're like, yeah, that, the value that he brings – Maybe this is exactly what he is worth. Maybe you're overpaying a little bit as far as a guy who's not the best in coverage because of that or because of the level of energy that they had with him back out on the field yesterday. I I thought the defense kicked the offense's butt yesterday, and I, I think a lot of it had to do with some of the juice
0: that the defense seemed to have with Jamal Adams back in the fold. Yeah, and the boost that it would bring. Paul, you made the point, too, when you went through the number of games that he's played, like this is this is a dude that if if you give Jamal Adams credit for playing through the injuries he did last year, which he deserves, you give Jamal or Dwayne Brown just as much credit because he's right. played even longer at at a equally demanding, taxing position. He doesn't miss games either. It's not like his intended is perfect, but he, he's played through a lot, including when he got here. He had a high ankle sprain. He didn't miss time after that. So all of those things are there. When I say it's a difficult decision, and here is part of what. We know, but we don't know the full story. I know this offseason there was some talk about the possibility Dwayne Brown might retire. Like that, that it wasn't a slam dunk that he's coming back. And, and I don't know how that was communicated to the team or whether that was he's thinking about it or whether he told some people he wasn't playing. I don't know exactly how far that went. But there was there, – there, that, that uncertainty was something that was discussed with the Seahawks this offseason. That was that was kind of an issue. And that, in some ways, it would kind of change. I could see how if you're the front office, and this offseason you hear, okay, he's not sure if he's going to play in 2021. And then when it gets time for minicamp and then training camp, all of a sudden he wants an extension where you're like, okay, what exactly is going on here, right? Because... One possibility is he just changed his mind and said, like, no, man, my, my, my body feels better. That was, I was all beat down and ground down after the season. But now now not only am I ready, but I can see myself play in two more years. Or is it, man, he's looking for either one last bite at the apple, or if you're really skeptical, and I don't know that anybody in Seattle sees it this way, maybe this is just my own conspiracy. Like, if I was a GM, I would wonder, okay, if he had retired this off season we would have been able to recoup part of his signing bonus, right? The NFL rules would allow, like, if he retires, if a player retires and there's years left on his contract, and so Dwayne Brown got an $8 million signing bonus for a three-year contract. If he retires, Seattle could and would be allowed to get one-third of that signing bonus back, $2.667 million back. Well, if he shows up and says, I want an extension, and then doesn't play if he doesn't get the extension, he's not retiring. You don't, I you could you could have a, so all of these things start, and I'm not saying that's what's happening. I'm just trying to say, here's all of the uncertainties that the Seahawks front office would have to be gauging. How much does he think he's going to play beyond this year? And in a worst case scenario, does he even still really want to play this year? It, it's, it makes it a little bit more of a difficult decision if you're a team.
2: I think Dwayne was banged up. I think at the end of the season, it's a long season. Yeah. He plays a position where there's constant contact and you're battling. And there are times where you're like, man, do I want to do this again? Do I want to do this? And I think he got to the end of the season and he's talking to his wife. Right, He's looking at his kids. He's like, okay, do I want to spend more time here? But then you get into that offseason, you start feeling good. You start recovering. You're at home with the kids and wife all day. You're like hey, I need to get out of here. I can't be here all day. I'm not used to this. You know, things change. And I think because he's been in the league so long, and because he's been so productive, it, he's he can change his mind. If you're if you're new to this league and you're third on the depth chart and you're just running down on special teams trying to make tackles, you don't have that luxury. But a guy like Dwayne Brown has that luxury. And then at some point, Mm -hmm. when does loyalty come into the NFL? We all know NFL stands for no bleeping loyalty. They will get rid of you as soon as they are done with you, You show any signs of not being the person you were. But at 36, playing in the league this long, being productive this long, he deserves some type of loyalty. And I want to say the Hawks are handling it that way. They're they're not going to come out in the public and say, look, this is what we're doing for Dwayne. This is what we're talking about. At the aftermath, we'll see how this thing is being handled. Whether he stays, he gets an extension or not, that's when it's truly revealed. That's what we saw with, with Jamal Adams. We, we thought maybe they were beefing, but the end of the day, it sounds like, hey, everything went the way we thought it was going to go. It's all good. Devil's advocate argument,
1: though, for the Seahawks, and I do think that they should give Dwayne Brown whatever, they want, whatever he wants. I mean, they are showing him $11 million plus loyalty this season. For a 36-year-old tackle. Now, it's not long-term security, and it's not necessarily guaranteed money. But, I mean, that's a lot. That's, that's that's a good amount, I would say, for a tackle at 36.
0: Yeah, he's not underpaid. But it's the uncertainty. When Cam Chancellor wanted a new deal, the answer was fairly straightforward, which is, dude, you just signed this, right? The, you still got two years left on it. We If you, we pay you now. Dwayne Brown's got a year left, and the answer is... Well, you're 36, so different rules apply. It, it, this is harder. This is, this is really harder. And if you're the Seahawks right now, th- it's much more simple than do we give a really good player what he's asking for in terms of long-term security. There's, there's a lot of questions about they, they've been bit before when they've done this. Marshawn Lynch, Cam Chancellor, Michael Bennett, all those dudes got extensions, and they didn't end up playing a down in the years that were added to the contract. Not a down. They didn't make it to the years that you glued onto the contract. So that's just part of it. It is Danny and Gallant. We got Michael Bumpus with us for one more segment. And coming up next, the last laugh goes to Seattle and to Jamal Adams. We'll explain why next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We've also got a Michael Bumpus. I've been struck over the past couple of years by how disliked Jamal Adams seems to be nationally. I get it coming out of New York. And maybe there is an element of people just not liking guys who join the Seahawks. Still some animosity for what the team was in the mid-2010s. But there's a lot of vitriol out there for Jamal Adams, specifically after he got paid yesterday.
2: Stop hating. Stop hating. Why? Do, why? Because he's outspoken, because he's cocky, he's confident. Um, those are all the things that, honestly, most of the great athletes are. Like Michael Jordan, cocky, confident. Tiger Woods, cocky, confident. You can go to freaking soccer, you know, uh, Messi. I guess he's a he, he's different, but Ronaldo, cocky, confident. I mean, that that kind of comes with the territory. Most guys are that way who are great. than not you still have your Larry Fitz, your Barry Sanders. Those guys are successful too. But I like it. It, it will make it's part of what makes him a great football player. So I would highly recommend Jamal. You keep doing your thing. He's certainly established
0: a, a louder and outspoken personality. I love it. I I I think one of the beautiful things about football is that you can. If if you're acting true to yourself, I, I, I think I think phoniness will show up in football and be exposed. But if you're if you're being who your personality is, and I think that's who Jamal Adams is. I think he is the dude that lights up a cigar after clinching a playoff berth and coming out and saying it feels great. I know it's normal for you guys, but I've never been. That's like hell yeah, it feels good. I I think those things are. I think they're endearing. I I love guys that are true to that. Like I love Richard Sherman's personality. I thought that was awesome. Earl Thomas was a totally different dude. I I like different personalities. Sherman was legitimately cocky, though. I I think Adams, it's a
1: very high level of enthusiasm and excitement Mm -hmm. about a lot of different things. Maybe people have a hard time buying that that's authentic because— I, I've never gotten that vibe of cocky from Jamal Adams. I look, the lighting the cigar after the division title, okay, I could see how that might rub some people the wrong way, or how the Los Angeles Rams might put that on the bulletin board and, and bring it back around for the playoff game. But he did say, like, look, this is this is my first time winning at this level. I've been with the New York Jets for the last couple of seasons. To me that's not necessarily endearing, but I I, I see that and I see a guy who really appreciates the achievement that he just pulled off, which what's wrong with that? You know, it, 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 acting like it's business as usual after every single game. I know that that's perhaps the way that you're supposed to operate, but it's not necessarily an authentic reflection of how the average athlete handles moments of fleeting success. Cause they're so hard to come by. Only one team wins a Super Bowl every year.
2: There's nothing wrong with being candid and like, being candid, it's beautiful, man. It's it's transparent. You're just showing how you really are. I, re- I I remember when I was young, i had to have a good game, and you know you shake people's hands, right? Good game, good game. I get in the car, and me and my mom be talking crap, like you see that oh, I was getting a mom, boom, 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 boom. But I think people need to see some of that, and because people aren't being candid and people aren't being transparent like we like we would like for them to be, that's why you get a flag for flexing. Because the people upstairs are like, oh my God, you know, we don't want to see this this raw emotion. We want you to be so stiff and, and walk this straight line, but that ain't life. It really isn't. Like that's what makes humans special, man, because we, we got emotions and we can express them and you know what we're feeling. Like, why would you take one of our greatest traits away from us? So enjoy, man. He lives in a moment. I appreciate it. This is some of it's because he left New York, too, right? Oh, yeah. And like
0: anytime anytime a player leaves a team, you're gonna hear a level of anger directed at that play. I mean, it happens here. Like people loved Richard Sherman and there's a lot of people in Seattle that are still mad and he didn't even choose to leave. He got cut like those. There's, there's a certain amount. And it's, if, if you're, if you're loud and outspoken, you can't worry about what people say about you because in, as a professional athlete, if you do things that command attention, you can't worry about how people are going to react to them because there are going to be some people that like it. Who cheer for the team you play for, and some people who don't, who either cheer for the team you used to play for or the teams that you don't play for. Like you'll eventually become a target. Jamal Adams is sits down with Wyman and Bob this afternoon, and their show. I'll be interested to hear what he says. Their show from from two to four today. Uh, Jamal Adams, there. I I love his personality. I love dudes that are interesting. I do too. He, he's he's
1: different, and I understand though to what you were just saying a moment ago, Danny. How Somebody leaves a big-time city, which thinks it's the center of the universe, and there's some upset feelings. I feel like Jets fans, being the self-loathing fan base that they are, you would have thought there would be perhaps a little more understanding after yesterday, but that's what I was most struck by. And to be the most original talk show host in the United States of America, I feel like perhaps going and sifting through some of the angry comments that were left on certain websites or on Twitter about Jamal Adams' contract. Could be a fun experience for us as we put our feet up and relax now that the Jamal Adams contract has been taken care of. At Makar 11, Blitz boy can't cover. Only good for regular season. Chalked in the playoffs. Spelt it wrong. Just like all of his teammates. DK should request a trade. Wasting his career in Seattle.
0: <laughs> Blitz boy Blitz can't boy. Cover.
1: That's Blitz boy. That's the common insult that gets thrown his way. Is it really an insult when you had nine and a half sacks and set yeah. the record for sacks as a safety?
0: Yeah. That's 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 a strange it's a strange route to go down. It's a very strange route to go down.
2: Do we ask do we ask Shaq to make free throws? No, he want not make those <laughs> throws. That's not I
0: what he that- does. I, I thought that was like the God gave us Shaq's poor free throw shooting because it wouldn't have been fair. Like if he would have made 80% <laughs> of his free throws, it just wouldn't have been fair. Like he needed, everybody needs a weakness. For Shaq, yeah. it was free throws. Agree.
1: Touchback six on pro football talk comments. Any Hag fan claiming two first round picks and 18 billion for a rover has no idea what they're talking about. He can't cover, period. All he does is blitz and get caught out of position because he has an inflated opinion of himself and isn't a cerebral player. Adrian Phillips, I think this guy's a Patriots fan, totally outperformed him last year in every category, save for sack accumulation, but it didn't cost New England two first-rounders on $18 million a year. Right now, the Wilson and Adams deals are <laughs> terrible, as is the Twain Brown contract. Just wait until DK Metcalf wants $25 million a year. Touchback six on Pro Football Talk. Very angry.
0: How the world is Russell Wilson's contract a bad deal? <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> it I, looks honestly, like a bargain now, right? Well, With Josh Allen getting a deal? Well, we paid one of the best quarterbacks in the league, one of the highest quarterback contracts. Like, that's probably the epitome of a really fair contract. And if you have a franchise quarterback in the league, there's nothing more valuable than that. Yeah, that's... I, I, it, I could see how someone would look at it and say, Seattle gave up an awful lot to pay that guy more than any other safety. I, I could. I think that that's sort of... It's a potentially valid criticism. I don't, I don't know if it was worth it. I think the Seahawks looked at it and said, we're not going to get a player this talented any other way, and he's still really young, and we think he's going to be a huge part of our defense, and our coach knows how to use safeties. So I I could get that saying they gave up... They did give up an awful lot, and then they paid him an awful lot. But I don't know, man. Until they miss the playoff... Don't they have to miss the playoffs
2: first before yeah. you could say like it was yeah. a bad deal? Hey, it, was Buddha Baker available? No, no. right, All right, exactly. No. That's why you go and keep this man because yeah. Buddha Baker ain't out there. And QB, QBs wise, I mean, who else was available that's better than Russell Wilson? You, you, don't, you, you don't let the best walk away from you. You, you got to keep it. And just because they don't fit. What you think a safety should do, or what you think a quarterback should do, We'll stay on the East Coast, man. Good luck with that over there with the Jets. All right, good it's luck. It's
0: saying, like, well, you, they got this guy with a third-round pick. Yeah, they did. And Seattle, when they drafted Cam Chancellor with a fifth-round pick, kept him with two different extensions. It's hard to draft that dude in the, fir- the fifth round. And if you got an opportunity <laughs> to acquire the guy that you think is really good and it costs you two first-round picks, like, that's a lot to pay. But if you think the guy's good enough, pull the trigger.
1: I'm here for all the salt. It's fantastic. Michael Bumpus, it's always fantastic when you join us. We'll hear more from you on Friday. Hopefully there's a Dwayne Brown deal or a Quandre Diggs deal to talk about then. Otherwise, we'll be talking about the Seahawks' second preseason game against the Broncos. Thanks for joining us, Bump.
2: Hi, right, guys. Have a good one.
1: That is Michael Bumpus, at MichaelBumpus5 on Twitter. What's your reaction to the Seahawks signing Jamal Adams to the extension yesterday? Are you relieved? Are you excited? Is there a word that we are missing here? We'll give you our answers to that question next. Danny Engelant, 710 ESPN Seattle.